first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we are taking a look at hospital food, why it's fallen so far to reconstituted broths and jello, and what one hospital is doing to fix it. And then later, we are going to get into the biggest stories of the week. We are talking about an apple, a cosmic apple. It's cosmic apple space. and its marketing campaign. We're talking about a massive takedown of one of New York's biggest, most famous restaurants. Uh-huh. And, uh, and more. And more. Know, so much more. So much more. All right, let's get into it. So, Daniel, there was a piece on Eater about a year ago that I really enjoyed and was thinking about a lot recently mm. about why hospital food is so bad. And it was by this uh, journalist, Kate Washington, and her husband was in the hospital for a very serious reason, and she basically had to revive him. Right. And it involved her making a lot of food from scratch herself because she had convincing him how to eat again and convincing him that eating was good was an important part of his recovery. And the hospital food was just very bad mm-hmm. and processed. Yeah. And it made me think about how this is a very important time to be eating really good food and you're often faced with disgusting food. Yeah. Yeah, imagine how great it would be to eat food that was going to reconnect you with the joys of life, and instead you're slapped with a tray that looks like it was cut out of cardboard filled with Jello. And and you know when I think about hospital food, we have all these ideas of these cliches like Jello, you know, soup in a cup, yep. everything in styrofoam, the little pill, <laughs> the little shot glass filled with pills, yep. the saddest ham sandwich. Yeah, it's. It's captive audience dining, but unlike ball, <laughs> ballparks yeah. and train stations, Danny Meyer hasn't come in yet to like fix it. Well, that's what we wanted to announce today. That Danny <laughs> that's Meyer why we're is opening a hospital. This because... is an open letter to Danny Meyer. Can you just fix hospital food? Actually, I will say it does seem very dire, but when I uh, had my kid recently at Congrats. NYU Langhone, thank you. Mm-hmm. There was Brodo on the menu. Yeah, bone broth. Yeah, and I heard that that was one of the original ideas around Brodo was that Marco Canora would expand it to hospitals around the world or the country. That hasn't happened yet, but I enjoy that idea of the future. Yeah, it's one of those things that is simultaneously like so exciting to me, but mm-hmm. also so New York. Yes. Like, relax, but also no, would I be great. No, I think it could be everywhere. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no, I know. Bone broth is uh, one of those trends that could carry. Yeah. Um, Ideal for hospitals. I think, though, something I find fascinating about hospital food is it has become this cliche and it's become a thing that people beat down on. And it's like similar to airplane food. Mm -hmm. But it's it's kind of there's a series of factors that led it there. It's not that there's some big evil hospital chef who controls all of the food at all the hospitals. Hospitals were at one point 
things in people's houses, right. basically. They became small It was small much more clinics. intimate. Yeah, and then people wanted to care for the people that they were um, caring for with good food, make them nice meals, keep them happy. And then as hospitals became bigger and bigger businesses and regulations became more and more strict where everything had to be so sterile, mm -hmm. the food just ended up, like, from a practicality standpoint— right being very cookie cutter, being very like microwave oven meal. And it's nobody's fault, but we have gotten to this place where hospital food has become a joke and the butt of a joke. I also think that as modern medicine has improved mm -hmm. or as we believe more in modern medicine, there's less of an emphasis on food as healing mm -hmm. and food as the, being the thing that makes you better. Right. So while there could have been an emphasis on eating the soups, eating the gelatin, eating whatever it is to fix you up, now it's like, okay, the medicine is going to fix you up. And this is just like what you have to eat to survive. One of the things you hear a lot often from people who have spent a lot of time in hospital is it, hospitals is like, one of the breakdown moments is when they just can't force themselves to eat yeah. jello or the, just some disgusting like spammy thing for like the ninth or the 20th or the 30th straight day. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how much bringing sneaking food into someone in, into a hospital. Oh, yeah. Can like completely well, change. It's allowed their mood. too for yeah. most patients. Depends on what you're in there for. Yeah. I still like to sneak it in because. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun. Yeah. You know, vape pens and. Oof. <laughs> Yikes. JK. JK. Uh, anyway, so we want to talk to people with more experience in this field than us. Right. Up first, who better to trash on the current level and the current caliber of hospital food than our most longstanding critic, Robert Sietzma? You were in the hospital recently. First off, tell the audience what happened. Thank God you are better now. It was uh, very scary. I'm better than I ever was. But yeah, I was riding my bike down 9th Avenue when uh, all of a sudden a cab came out of nowhere and smashed into me. Uh, and I landed in a heap and I uh, broke a lot of bones. And so I had to go to the hospital for four days mm -hmm. and three nights, which, which uh, counts up to 10 meals that I ate while I was in the hospital. Oh, my God. You were at Bellevue Hospital, if I remember correctly. I was correctly. at Bellevue, which, of course, is known in the 19th century as an insane asylum. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I saw you there. and Yes, the, you visited. Thank you. The food on the property, like there are some restaurants. They didn't, they didn't seem that promising. So mostly it seemed like you were eating the in-room service. I was eating in-room service is a good way to put it. <laughs> um, but they did have several, they had like a moonstruck diner down on the ground floor. And uh, the food in the diner was much better. If I only could have dragged my sorry ass downstairs to eat in the diner, I would have been much happier because the food was so strange. All right. So tell us about the food in the room. Uh, the food in the room, to begin with, you know, you expect it to arrive like early bird special for the seniors in, mm -hmm. uh, in Florida. <laughs> what they do is that they bring it any damn time they want to. <laughs> so it could arrive your first meal at like 7 or 6.30. Sometimes dinner wouldn't show up till like 9 or 9.15 mm, or something. What? By which point you are completely tired of, you know, one thing about being in the hospital, you get so bored right. that you, and depressed that you just want to sleep. So so mm -hmm. at 9 o'clock, you're getting ready for sleep. And what do they bring you but a tray of dinner? 
you know, after you've been asking about it for like two hours, oh. and the tray has a cup of coffee on it. Oh, my God. Yeah, right, <laughs> 9 o'clock, I'm about to die, and they hand you a cup of coffee, a cup of black coffee. What? Now, the coffee doesn't come with milk or cream. It comes with a non-dairy creamer. Now, how oh healthy God. is that? That sounds like you're just poisoning yourself. And what about the entrees? Uh, the entrees were extremely weird. To begin with, <laughs> it exists in this weird area of pan, what could I call it? Uh, it's like pan nutritionism, mm -hmm. where they have taken the worst aspect of every nutritional belief going back for like 50 years and incorporated that. So, for example... Uh, you sometimes will look at your tray and there'll be like a kale salad and you <laughs> oh think how God. modern or your starch will be quinoa. Mm. But more often than that, you don't even recognize what the food is. Uh, and there are all sorts of things like there will be a little uh, package of mandarin oranges in thick syrup, mm. which is something that I remember eating in a fruit cocktail my mother made yeah. in like 1970. Did you yeah. get to order? I know when I was in the hospital recently, I got to choose my, my entree for every Oh, God, meal. no. No? It just no, showed no. up? Yeah. It just showed up and there was nothing you could do. And some of it was supposed to be something that it really wasn't. Uh, like they had the thing that was supposed to be like a, a uh, it was a deconstructed burrito. Mm. So it had like, there was no, no spice at all. They would just have the, uh, the pile of chicken mixed with canned tomatoes. Oh and they would God. have this kind of rubber tortilla next to it. And you were supposed to, you know, sit up in bed and put the thing together. I guess that was like occupational therapy. <laughs> Make your own burrito. Mm. And uh, at least it's a little entertainment. And there was, in, they had like, it would be like no fat milk every oh. single meal, which now, as parents, we know that they tell your, you never to feed your kid no fat no, stuff. You just do whole milk. That the fat is really good for them. And indeed, it's good for everybody. So they've reached back into the 1990s during the no fat 90s. Are they giving you margarine yeah. too? And, oh, of course. Yeah, there was no butter. It was like really? margarine. When margarine is supposed to give you an instant heart oh attack. Oh my God. So. so it's really just like a scary tapestry of a bunch of horrible diet fads. Coming together. Right. With, uh, with giant multinational corporations uh, emblazoning their logo across every little plastic wrapped bit. <laughs> oh my like God. I got this pudding and it said ConAgra across the top of it. Oh, my so, God. Oh, yeah. my God. Like why would they even brand it that way? What about the drinks other than the coffee? Uh, pretty much all the way uh, orange juice without pulp in a little plastic container with a metal kind of foil thing mm -hmm. mm. that you had to pull off. And of course, since I was half disabled by my accident, every time I tried to do something like that, it would just like spray all over me. So uh. I was sitting there covered with sticky orange juice. Did you tell any of the hospital staff or did anyone feel particularly bad for you because you are a food critic? Um, Did I they didn't ever... reveal my identi my secret <laughs> identity. You kept, but you, he was live yeah. tweeting. You so, were. I was. That's so right. your followers so. got to, to watch you suffer through this. You maintained your anonymity even in the most dire of circumstances. But even if I revealed my, my identity, I mean, the most likely outcome would be some restaurateur who happened to be passing through, like <laughs> smothering me with a pillow. <laughs> 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 
I thought you were going to say smothering you with some of their with delicious, with delicious food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was very lucky because my my close friends, both of you among them, brought me food during part of my uh, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So I had just some wonderful things to eat that had nothing to do with the hospital. Robert, we are so happy that you are feeling better. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm also happy that no... You have not been smothered by a pillow by an <laughs> angry restaurateur. Yes. Now you are hidden away in your apartment. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your tales of terrible hospital food with us. Thanks. It was fun. <laughs> Next up, we wanted to hear from people challenging the hospital food trope with new approaches to dining for patients. So we called up St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and talked to executive chef Michael Vitro and Gina Kim, the head of patient services. So tell us, why is St. Jude making an effort to make good food part of the treatment process? Well, one, the connotation of hospital food has never been something that is very positive. But two, as restaurants have gotten better, expectations have increased for dining. And so now as the guest comes in, we want to provide them with a with, with a more of a restaurant experience versus what you would originally think of as a hospital experience. Hmm. I, I know, so you call them guests rather than patients. Oh, w- without a doubt. Uh, I think that the hospitality industry is still the hospitality industry. So to call someone a patient is is labeling them. But at St. Jude, we serve the entire population. So not only do we have patients and families, but we also have all of the support operations staff. So your, your plumbers, your mechanics, uh, everybody it takes to make the place run. And then, of course, all the researchers, doctors, nurses, uh, administration that all comes along with it. So we truly do have guests. It's it, we're not it's not just about room service. It's about every individual that comes through our doors. What from your background working in restaurants have you brought to this role working at the hospital? Uh, I've worked extensively in in catering uh, as well as some smaller, you know, operations. So, I think what I take is from the catering aspect is the 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 level of service, the way you would build a buffet, the expectation of uh, garnishing a plate. I spent uh, a few years in the country club scene, and from that, you have that uh, top level of customer service. The it's never say no. It's how can I help you? How can I make this mm-hmm. work? The bottom line is is that the hospitality industry is customer service. Secondary is high quality food served correctly, consistently, that looks appetizing and tastes excellent. So customer service, customer service, customer service. When you think about your customer, oftentimes it's a kid who's very sick and in treatment and doesn't want to eat, doesn't feel like eating. How do you convince them to eat? What are what are some of the your methods there? That's uh, mostly what I do on a day-to-day basis is taking care of our patients that are in the rooms. I would compare it to a hotel room service where they're able to place their order based on their menu and their diets, and we deliver it to them at their bedside. It's not like a traditional hospital where everyone's getting turkey for lunch. And I think that's been something that's really unique at St. Jude to help our patients that are very ill. At least they can pick out what they want to eat. And um, it's not abnormal for them to not find what they want, especially if they're from different parts of the country, um, different parts of the world. But if they want something outside of the menu, that's where I come in and I can um, go and meet with the families and the patients Mm -hmm. and get a recipe from them. And then I take it back to Chef Vitro and he's able to um, either himself or have um, cooks to prepare this item. And it goes as far as, you know, we might have to get special ingredients. We might have to 
go grocery shopping for this patient. And that's really how we get our patients to eat. Chef Vitro, can you give us an example of when you've taken the recipe from a family and, and turned it into a meal for a patient? I, I think one of the, that sticks out to me the most is I had a, a family, an Indian family. And so she came down and she basically chatted with us and said that we we trust the the doctors entirely but I am the mother and I believe that nutrition is my responsibility to my child and may I come in and work with you and she came together gave us a list of ingredients we made non paratas and some dal and we put together some butter chicken and she came in the kitchen and actually showed us how to make those items and so then we we could reproduce them at, on demand um, and as Gina mentioned, it, it, they can call down and they can order what they wish. But another thing that's important is that we don't restrict them to just three meals a day. If they have a if they have a craving or they feel that they want to eat, they pick up the phone and call us, and we have it ready for them. You know, these are children, and they say, "My tummy hurts. I don't feel like this. I want that." Where one person's remedy for a cold is not another. Somebody may say it's scrambled eggs and toast. Someone else might say that it is Lipton cup of noodles. Someone else may say that it's something spicy that, that's going to get them over their ailment. So we are basically prepared for anything. How does nutrition play a role when it comes up against like the deliciousness or the, the desires of the patient? How, how do you work in their health needs? We want parents to be parents. So throughout their day, they're being told what to do, what they can do, and what they can't. But one of the few things that the parent has control of is what they allow their child to eat. So if it falls within what clinical has said that they can have to eat, they're basically allowed to have that. Because sometimes you need, if you need that cheeseburger with the extra onions, well, then that's what you need. Because sometimes they just need calories. That is a big thing. You have to remember uh, chemotherapy and some of the other treatments that they go through uh, affect them. It affects their taste buds. There was a study done by Clinical not too long ago, and they used, uh, I think, a series of five emojis. And over the course of the span of chemotherapy, they tested salt and sour. And by the end, they needed much more intense flavors than they did in the beginning. And so, you, you know, you have, to, you have to find that happy medium where sometimes caloric intake is, is trumps the, the need for exact vitamin counts. Have you had that magic moment where you get a kid in and the parents are like, whatever you do, you know, you're, they're, they're not going to eat. And uh, you work a little magic and uh, you just feel fantastic. Um, there was a time where a patient wanted enchiladas. That's, you know, that's all she was talking about. And the mom gave us a recipe, and Chef was able to— we actually invited the patient down into our kitchen and assembled it together. So room service, you know, put up a nice tray together with some desserts, um, her favorite beverage. We took it to her room. And the best thing is when you go up to pick up a tray and you're, the plate's empty, you know, she ate everything. That's amazing. That's so cool. And how many, pati- how many guests, patients, and, you know, staffers do you guys serve? So we're actually, we just crept over 4,000 a day. And then I think from the room service perspective, I think we're at... About 70 patients a day. Food services has roughly 100 employees, and it takes every single one of them to get it moving. If it wasn't for our dishroom attendants and our 
room service techs who deliver the food to the three different levels of cooks that all prepare hundreds of portions every single day with the 4,000 guests that come through, that it is not just Gina and I that do it all. It's a, it is a small village that takes care of this campus, and every single one of them puts their heart and soul into every dish that they make. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and thank you for everything that you do. This is super fascinating. Well, thanks again for the opportunity because we love what we do, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to share it because I don't think anybody realizes what's going on in Memphis, Tennessee, taking care of all these uh, children and, and information that's shared around the world to, to help others. We'll be right back with the biggest food stories of the week. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Amanda, now is the point of the show where we crank through the biggest stories of the week. We separate them with the sound of a ding, like this ding that you're about to hear right now. Let's get into it. Amanda, there was a great thing on the Reddit forum, Am I the Asshole? Um that I wanted to share with you. Great. Yeah. So what the Reddit forum is, is you're saying like, here's this thing I'm doing. Is it wrong? Yeah, that's all it is. Okay, cool. Or someone got mad at me for doing this thing. Do Who's I right? Do I deserve it? Okay, cool. Okay, 30-year-old, 31-year-old single guy lives in an apartment. Uh, he's lived there for a while. He doesn't really know any of his neighbors. And there's a woman, I guess she, he says she's a little younger. He lives uh, across the hall from her. He has decided that he needs to stop eating out at restaurants so much. Uh, he wants to start eating at home. He's not a cook. He says that in the hallway, he's he often smells delicious food, consistently smells delicious uh-huh. food coming from her apartment. Okay. He has this idea, a light bulb goes off, that he is going to offer her money oh my God, to, to get cook in for him? on her food. Yeah. So he goes and offers her some money, and he says, so I, I, I notice you cook all the time. I would love to give you some money. And then, <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah, and then Is you— Is this you? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. 
then I'm insulted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep going. He offered her some money. She was. She. He said she looked surprised and says she couldn't because she was too busy. Bracket. Which didn't make sense because she cooks almost every day, but okay. Close bracket. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) The next time I saw her a few days later, I asked her if she was sure, and I upped the amount I was offering. Oh, my God. And she said she was sure and that it was rude to ask her and that she isn't a housekeeper for hire and that I should get a housekeeper if that's what I want. Oh, God. She also called me a stranger, even though we have talked in the halls before. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, He says she made me feel like a big jerk and a little mad because she was acting like I was being creepy. I wasn't. Trust me. She isn't my type. Oh, my God. I forgot about that part. Oh, no. I think asking her to split cooking wasn't completely outlandish since she cooks every day anyway, and it wouldn't be hard for her to make a little more. So am I am I the asshole? Can I quickly defend this guy real quick? Of course you can. <laughs> um, yes, please defend him. On a practical him. level, if I was cooking at home every day, if I were to get the money that I would want to buy nice ingredients. Yeah, I think we all understand how this could work out cook if double, everyone wanted to do this. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't be against it. Yeah. Like cooking for me, you know, cooking a whole chicken is easier than buying thighs. In a perfect world, there is a version which like a, a, like imagine a, a floor of an apartment that has a cool uh, cook share system. Sure, where, sure, like, sure. Yeah. Yes. So I'm good. sure there are communities where this exists too. Co-ops. <laughs> <laughs> or like there could be some fun building where you throw money in and there's someone who loves to cook and cook for you, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but just knocking on someone's door because the hallway smells good. <laughs> that's so deranged. She isn't his type. Yeah, that's true. So she doesn't have to feel unsafe at all. Man, so awkward because now she lives across the hall from him. Yeah. And now she's probably thinking, God, do I have to move? Do I have to have this conversation again? I can't believe he asked twice. Yeah. In, yeah. I mean, in fairness, he offered more more money. Oh, more my money God. This. The first time you can at least think like, oh, my God, my neighbor's so weird. So Oof. But the second time. Yeah. Ugh, so uncomfortable. This really speaks to like people just not understanding other people yeah. at all. Like thinking that it was a money issue. He's like at the bar with his buds being like, I offered her good money. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be in this relationship with you where I'm just cooking for you all the time. Yeah. I don't need the money. Also, imagine how much interaction they'd have to I have. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like she doesn't have to maintain. Because and like he's going to weigh in on what he wants or what he likes. He's going to start weighing in. <laughs> yes. Hey, so that was a little salty last night yeah. or whatever. I don't like, love eggplant. <laughs> Could you? I don't know. Next time, maybe not. Yeah. What oh an asshole. God. The one that I recently saw of the Am I an Asshole was this guy who's a vegetarian who married an eat, meat eater. She cooks for him. So she has changed her cooking habits mm. so that she's not cooking meat. And she was talking about how, you know, her favorite comfort food is bolognese. Mm-hmm. And would he mind if she did a non-vegetarian bolognese because she just loves it so much and misses it? And he was like, no, mm-hmm. that's so rude. And he, of course, is the asshole because she can cook bolognese for herself and he can make his own goddamn dinner one night. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would like to see what the terms of the 
engagement were going in? How much was he <laughs> offering her? You know, did he up it? <laughs> in their marriage? In their marriage. Like, what did the marriage contract look like? Did she say she was just going to cook vegetarian food for you every single night forever? In which case, she's the asshole. He's. What if he was just the absolute perfect guy and he's like, you know, you just can't. All I ask is that you All don't ask, make bolognese for yourself. No bolognese, you know? <laughs> what if mm-hmm. bolognese was a really triggering dish for him? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably her. I think both women in this case are probably... And they're the assholes. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Assholes. Definitely. <laughs> for sure. I'm here with Serena Dye, editor of Eater New York. Serena, foie gras has been banned by who? By the city council, by wow. the government. Yeah, it's going to take three years to come into effect, but it's after that. They're taking our foie gras away? They're taking it away. What, uh... This has been something that's been in the works for a, a while, right? There's all I mean, there's always a movement of people trying to ban foie gras, which is of course the considered probably the most inhumane. Like if it's like family feud, what's the most inhumane <laughs> food? You know, it's foie. foie. It's foie gras. Yeah. yeah. It's almost a stereotype. It's like a punching line and yeah. it's so easy because only a very small amount of people even eat foie gras. Yeah. It's it's not cheap, it's expensive, it's a luxury product. I feel like 99.9% of people could live their whole lives in a state where foie gras is banned and one where it's not and they wouldn't know the difference. Yes, 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah. So how, what have the reactions been like this uh, online? What have the reactions been to this online? Yeah, well, most of the reactions is that it's kind of dumb. Uh, <laughs> well, we our comment section is kind of a storm right now. Um, the biggest reaction is that it's dumb because it's such it's not like a huge impact mm-hmm. thing. People are like, well, this is such a small part of the larger problem for environmentalism and mm-hmm. restaurants and food um, stuff. Like, the meat farms, you know, that's been going on for a long time, too, but there hasn't been as much outcry because it has such a wider impact. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at, like, hamburgers and chickens and the way that animals are treated generally for the meat that we eat, that is a much bigger problem, and it's and people... The government hasn't done that much about it. Yeah. You know, it's not really forefront of the mind for environmentalists in city council right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of people are saying this is just low hanging fruit. New York City restaurants, I think they said that something like a thousand restaurants will be impacted. But I don't really see foie on that many menus anymore. It's yeah. not like this big, luxurious thing anymore. I think sushi, which, again, also has its environmental shit going on, uh, has wider relevance right now than foie. Yeah. Um, Ryan was saying, Ryan Sutton, our critic, he goes to more tasting menus than I do. And he's saying even when people do use foie, it's like quite small. People aren't bringing out these huge hunks of foie gras like they used to. It's not really <laughs> that trendy anymore. No. Uh, so the reality is for the New York City diner, for the eater reader, it doesn't that matter that much at the restaurants themselves. These people are not really, not that many people are putting huge chunks of foie on do the you, menus anymore. The fact also that it's happening in three years, I always think about like, are chefs going to serve it? up to the time it gets banned, you know? Or are they just going to be like, let's get rid of it now? Like, what is the last day before the foie ban? Like, are they just yeah. going to go all yeah. out, just mass murdering? I don't know. <laughs> well, I th- the big thing is, uh, the biggest impact it's going to have is on the farms upstate. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of these restaurants already have a relationship with these farms or maybe not going to stop cold turkey. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I the, It's going to be a lot of trouble for these upstate farms. Yeah. It's kind of like the, um, as far as serving foie gras goes, New York is such a big center for it. And if we aren't serving foie or not allowed to anymore, I don't know what these businesses are going to do. I don't, I'm not really sure they know what they're going to do. But I think something you said to me before was like, 
it's important to see the writing on the wall a little bit. And if you're doing foie and you're starting to see that people are moving to ban it, then like you probably should think about pivoting at some point. I mean, I know these yeah. places have been doing the same thing for a long time, but like, yeah, that's the, yeah, that is a thing I think. I mean, I, I do feel bad that people are going to lose their jobs. These farms are obviously very important parts of their community, but this is the industry's changing. People care more about ethics behind their food now, more mm-hmm. now than ever. Uh, so if you're not going to adapt to that, then, you know, I don't I don't really know what to say. The consumer tastes are changing. You got to figure it out, figure out something else to some other way to expand your business. Yeah. Maybe just the rest of the duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Yeah. People still like to eat duck. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the fact they're saying that these foie gras ducks live very good lives, like the farmers and the distributors who um, are making like 50 million or not. Not profiting, but, you know, $50 million in sales from foie gras every year. They're like, well, these are the best ducks. And if I were going to be a duck, I wouldn't want to be a foie gras duck because they got to, like, romp around in the farm. And yeah. that's that's wonderful. Is there a way you can sell that story about your farm and your animals that's, that's not just yeah, foie? But- like, people care about that. People want to know, especially in New York City, where people do want to know where their food is coming from. They want to know that the animals are treated nicely. But, you know, the, having it also be <laughs> yeah. foie gras, it's, it's like this dichotomy of, are they I really know. being treated that nicely well, if you're like shoving I, food that, down that their That narrative throats? always bothers me because it's like, well, if I was going to be a cow, I'd want to be like a Wagyu cow because they just roam, they drink beer. But it's like, <laughs> if you had, if you went into the wild and you captured a duck and then you like gave it a lazy boy to sit on, it's not going to be a happier <laughs> duck. It's just going to be a duck that is out of its natural habitat. You know, it's not like, oh, ducks love watching baseball. Like, you don't <laughs> fucking know that. Like, they want to fly around and do duck shit. Yeah. Well, we, we don't know. How they can we know? Yeah, right? right. <laughs> yeah. They don't, like, are, is there consciousness? I don't know. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> like, okay, we got totally. a lot of other conversations to have. But uh, for now, a, get your foie gras while you can. And uh, we'll, we'll be here just pissing farmers off. We have Robert Sietzma back on the show because we need to talk about Peter Luger, the famous Brooklyn Steakhouse, which just got slammed by the New York Times this week in a zero-star review from the New York Times critic Pete Wells. Robert, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about this because I know you are a fan of Peter Luger, as I am, am I. Yeah. And I think we should talk a little bit about what what Pete's problems were and your take on it. And just the media phenomenon, and the me- and the media phenomenon. People, we, people we were love talking a story here like this. about. We were talking. About, would there be a better thing to take down to inspire a huge media frenzy? I think with when I mean Robert, you can speak to this, but when critics do a big takedown like that, they love it when it's a huge target, like famous people have been there. You yes, know. exactly. And I mean, I don't know that. Pete really hates it as much as he pretends to. I mean, he's getting up on his high horse, or in this case, high cow, and um, and he's he's doing a stunt review. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us as restaurant journalists know that the restaurant news scene is kind of like this. Things kind of are quiet for a while, and then they kind of build up like a thunderhead before a rainstorm. <laughs> and you know, and Pete, he has to let the pressure out of his brain by doing whatever he does by venting Mm -hmm. like a volcano. And so he did it, you know, he did it on Guy Fieri Mm -hmm. and he got so much good feedback. 
And so now he's casting around and saying, what sacred cow right. can I possibly attack? What's and not as good as people think it is. Exactly. Well, it's uh, funny. You guys have a column called, is it still good? Yes, we Where you go to places it. like this where people just assume it's great or people you know, don't know, haven't thought about it for a while, and you actually check in. Like Ryan Sutton, our colleague, really didn't like Corner Bistro. Um, I feel right. like this would have been prime suspect it for one of these. It was the next subject no, of the no. column. So damn you, Pete. Pete. That's a lot of missed traffic, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think oh, we, no, we're no, getting no. a lot of traffic oh, from no, this my, my editor, Serena, really managed to, to get Catch like the wave. four or five yeah, different. Yeah, flooding the zone in a, in a really great way. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's talk about his qualms. One of them is the hospitality. And I think there are some very real points here. They're not super friendly. They don't make it very easy for you. They used to be cash only. Now they'll take debit cards. Uh, you, If you order a drink at the bar, you have to pay separately. If you order a drink at the bar and eat at the bar, you have to order from a waiter. And so you order your drink from the bartender and your burger from the waiter. Is that right? Yes. It's an arcane ritual that yeah. goes back many centuries to, uh, to when the... Uh, we were invaded in the 13th century by by the Huns, <laughs> and they uh, they put this. They made all of these rules, and these rules are still be- being followed. <laughs> well, most of the the waiters there they're very old fashioned sorts, and very formal. I mean, your alternative to this kind of very stiff service, and not even good service, I, I would admit is to have uh, someone bouncing up to your table every two minutes and asking, how did you like this dish? Are well, we liking this dish really well? Yeah. I've never heard a waiter at Luger come up and ask you if you liked no. your steak. But I'll say this about Luger. I, I've never had bad service there. No. There are just rules. And I kind of appreciate every once in a while, especially at a place like that, to not be coddled. Yeah. Just like these are the rules, and that's what they do in Paris at the traditional restaurants. Yeah, a lot of times when you travel, it's like, okay, this is the deal. This kind of restaurant, like you pay here, you order there, like da da da, and you're like, okay, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. People don't have to kiss my ass everywhere I go. Exactly, and it's a refreshing in a sort of way to have a waiter who respects his his occupation and behaves in a serious way as if he's not trying to upsell you. Well, sorry for using that word. (laughs) He's he's not trying to upsell you every minute. Um, You know, the question of whether they should have some women waiters and black waiters, uh, you know, is another one entirely. Sure. He didn't even bring that up, did he? He didn't. He He didn't at all. He missed a point there. Uh, It just so happens that all of the waiters are brothers from a giant family with like 50 people in it. (laughs) No, it it is true that they're all of one particular nationality, and I won't reveal what it is. But, (laughs) you know, that's New York. That's old New York for you. You know, you get a certain occupation, Mm -hmm. and one immigrant group gets organized into Mm -hmm. it, and then everybody that you see is in that occupation. I will say on the hospitality front, though, I've been there with babies quite a bit, and they're very nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought they would be really mean. The babies or the waiters? The waiters. Oh, okay. (laughs) The waiters to the babies. Nice to babies. They just see future cash-paying steak diners. Yes, they just treat everybody the same, I think. Future debit (laughs) card-wielding. I would say what I think is more valid, probably, is the complaint that the food can be inconsistent. We pointed that out when we did our our Is It Still Good column about Katz's. Mm -hmm. You know, every damn pastrami... Every damn cow is different. I mean, I know this from going to Luger, going back like 30 years, that sometimes you get a steak that you're really pleased with. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you get a steak that you're not as pleased with, but you're satisfied with. Some of them have grizzle. You know, every cow is different. If you could, like, get some kind of cow mind control. So you don't yeah. think you can have a steakhouse with consistently good steak? 
I believe that it's consistently good, but there's a difference between good and, you know, and arm-grabbing, ass-hugging great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, but he was talking about the sear as well. He was saying the sear. He thinks that cooking is inconsistent. Like the burger, three people ordered medium rare, one person got medium rare, everybody else got something different. Weird. I, I have not had that problem. But, yeah. uh, but I, you know, it, it's the place is flawed. There's no question about it. Yet I mm. love it and I think the steaks are great and I would rather take a chance on a steak than eat an impossible burger that is the <laughs> same. I mean, impossible burgers, they're always the same. They always have that artificial hemoglobin oozing out. Yeah, you know how I'm going to go with team, here, team Robert that I think there are probably flaws. I'm sure people have inconsistency there, but still love it. So, Daniel, uh, what? Uh, well, Robert, as a journalist, if a restaurant like Peter Luger had been save, serving the same soggy wedge potatoes for 90 years, but that was like part of the deal. Everyone knew their wedge potatoes sucked, but people still got them because it was part of the, you know, it's part of the shtick. Is it then fair to write a review in 2019 and say that the wedge potatoes are garbage? Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can still call them out for yeah. being garbage. Yeah, call them out for anything. But like, like with once again with Katz's, the pastrami is fantastic. You know, maybe the tongue isn't quite as great. I mean, there's, there's things that people that go there consistently know to order. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't believe he ordered things that I didn't even know they served, like fish. Did you know that? Yeah. Well, he and he mentions that. He's like, people are going to say, well, you shouldn't have ordered the sole anyway. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't have. <laughs> like, don't. No one's getting that. I think his point is that everything should be good. If you're paying these prices, you should be getting the value for it. Yeah. I just think well, we have to admit that restaurants and why we love restaurants, it's not always going to be about is the soul good. Mm-hmm. It's about everything. Like I go to Keens every year. The food isn't always great at Keens, but I still love it every single time I go there. And it's about more than just like, is the steak perfect today? Yes, and if it's not perfect, you just soldier on through you just and work enjoy your way it anyway, through. and carry the rest of it home and make a sandwich the next day. I yes. mean. In an in an you know in an era where everything drops, we have drops. We have film trailer. The new Star Wars trailer just dropped. Uh-huh. Got new songs dropping all the time. New sneaker lines. Yep. Uh, and Apple dropped. Ooh. Well, there was an announcement of an Apple dropped. We brought on Jaya Anna to talk about the Cosmic Crisp Apple. And it's coming, it's impending release, which was just this whole media explosion. Did I, was that too animated? <laughs> I don't know if the rest of media is as excited about it as we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, I think that's you, what they want. Yeah. Tell us what's, what's yeah, going on. Yeah, that's definitely what they want. And I also, I am excited just because it is wild to see uh, this sort of rolled out release around a, an apple. A new apple. Yeah. So what is this new apple? What's so it the called? the new apple, it is called the Cosmic Crisp. TM. TM, trademark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was developed in Washington State, and it is essentially, I believe it's a combination of an Empire and a Honeycrisp mm-hmm. apple. Mm-hmm. And everybody is getting really hyped up because this is supposed to be the apple to sort of end all apples. <laughs> <laughs> because the main thing seems to be that Washington State produced a lot of red delicious apples. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, sorry to any Red Delicious fans out there, but most people do not actually like the Red Delicious no. apple. Uh, they serve a purpose. Yeah, they serve a purpose. Well, the main purpose they serve is that they travel well. Ah, and okay. so you can mm-hmm. ship them anywhere and they won't bruise and they won't soften, but mm-hmm. 
the favorite of hospitals. Yeah. Favorite of hospitals, favorite of cafeterias. But the trade off for that is that they have no flavor. Uh, so the Cosmic Crisp supposedly has a very good, sweet, tangy, crunchy flavor, but will also travel well. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is sort of the sweet spot, right. supposedly, that that everybody is hoping this will be great for apple farmers, uh, and that this will get everyone hyped about fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us about the marketing campaign behind the Cosmic Crisp? So they have definitely been um, pushing on social media more than I personally have seen other apples. Uh, I do not know many other apples that have their own Twitter account. Um, Without that have, even being alive yet. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, We're coming. That have, you know, an ad that has this very, these beautiful shots of the apple mm-hmm. and listing all of their qualities. Uh, and they've been covered by, you know, some other publications and everything. And in general, yeah, there is some hype around this apple. Uh, and so it is really, it is really fun to see uh, a food product like this right. that's not the Popeye sandwich, that's not something fast food or mm-hmm. packaged uh, advertising itself in that in that way. Yeah. I think what this made me think of is how many new foods have come out that haven't done this because I feel like what's going on here is is just a new food has being has been bred right like mm-hmm. Dan Barber yeah. has all these seeds for all these new if only he had better marketers yeah. for all these new yeah. lines of squashes and mm-hmm. you know bananas whatever yeah but none of them have treated it like a launch none a of them a lot of like, funding coming from Big Apple is this yeah. a big is this a big Big Apple thing or is it a Washington State thing who uh, pays for this either um, way so there was the Washington State University. I believe was oh, one of the developers they the apple? behind it. Right. And so, yeah, there is de- but there is a serious PR budget for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and but right, there are plenty of varietals of fruits and vegetables yeah. and grains that are being grown all the time. Um, and maybe now this is just the the way to get people to pay attention. I mean, it is. I you gotta. Like yeah. The, the tagline is "Imagine the possibilities." Trademark. Trademark. Imagine the possibilities. TM. That's no what one are else the is... possibilities here? I want. <laughs> yeah. Is it delicious? Well, that you think can bigger. travel and it, think bigger. Yeah. <laughs> A delicious apple. That's just the beginning. <laughs> the the tweet says the apple you've been waiting for yeah. is coming. Yeah. I didn't know I was waiting for it, but now I do. Now I know. And that's I'm, the, now that's I'm waiting. the point. You didn't realize mm-hmm. you were waiting for an apple, and now you're December 1st on the calendar. As as a journalist and, you know, uh, an internet professional, why, <laughs> <laughs> why do you think this one, like, because you wrote about it in a way that was, like, ironic, but also not entirely ironic, right? Like, we're, not, we're like, laughing at this launch campaign, but also kind but of also excited. also we want to try it. And, yeah. yeah, that there's a new app, and other things have come out, but this is the app. Yeah. Like, why why did this one really work? Why did it get to you? I think for me, like, the ad, if if you watch it, it is incredibly sincere and also, I think, pretty goofy. Really (laughs) silly. That it's got, like, a a hot air balloon rising into the sky and these (laughs) smiling children and, you know, an apple rotating against the background of a galaxy. There's outer space. Yeah. And it's just... They know. They know. And they're making it... 
so big. And I think they probably know that it is a little bit silly, but when something feels so when they're comparing it to space and when they're telling you imagine the possibilities and treating it this big like you sort of can't help go along with that a little bit like it's very fun to go along with that yeah because I'm sure the original meeting was like oh should we just like buy up some extra space at Whole Foods should we like put it in the circular at the grocery store it's like no 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 we're making this crazy video. Yeah. They're like, and we're getting a Twitter campaign. Bigger. Yeah. Think we're going, bigger. All, they're thinking, they're imagining the possibilities <laughs> yes. and they're going all in on it. Let's and get I sort the of, the trademarks. Yeah. I sort of got to respect that because truly, I think if I walked into a grocery store and among the dozen type of apples that are available there, so the one you're going to steal is the Cosmic Apple. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think before, if I had just seen Cosmic Crisp, I would have thought, okay, that's one I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I. It's the right name, ne- too. It's yeah. a really good it's name. Really good. That yeah. is a good name. But I don't know if I would have picked it up. But now I feel like uh, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eater's Digest. If you have any questions or concerns or feedback or anything at all you want to say to us, email us at digest at eater.com. If you really like the show, please suggest it to a friend. Send it over via text message, perhaps. And say, hey, bud, think you'd like the show. Or... Uh, you can share it on Instagram stories via Spotify. Try that out. It's very fun. Special thanks to Robert Tsitsima, Kate Washington, Gina Kim, Michael Vitro, and the team at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And as always, special thanks to our producer, Martha Daniel. We will see you all here next week. <laughs>